0: This is an additional podcast of the Sunday Times Politics Weekly, where the Sunday Times Politics team interviews various ANC candidates contesting in the governing party's national elective conference for the top six leadership. Positions. This special series will allow you to sit down and be up and close and personal with the contenders as they chat about their personal lives, the experiences that have shaped them, and most importantly, why they deserve to be considered for some of South Africa's top leadership positions. With immediately said
1: when people zone, I quote in two years' time, Eskim's problems will be a thing of the past, people won't even remember load shedding. <laughs> Unquote.
0: They put saliva on the paper.
2: I'm in charge. That's why these fools are running around here, I'm in charge. And
1: then they share that
2: zone. Point of order, Order, Point of order. Ruling party by stride of in. order. Must step aside within 30 days. No, no, I'm not going to apologize. He has no brains
0: whatsoever. So the ANC president was sabotaged again yesterday?
2: Well, sabotage, that can be This
0: determined. is not
1: a shit, arms, can you please come oh, the, in? We've seen the nomination figures and then we've been all over the country. What are your prospects? I think the prospects are good. Yeah. This is based on the fact that
2: uh, originally for me to uh, to stand and make myself available, yeah. uh, I was approached and as you have heard <laughs> that there was a province that went out and asked me to stand and be available, which I did. That province has gone on to engage other provinces and regional leaders and they've come back with an indication that there's a huge amount of interest in my candidacy and a a huge amount of support. What uh, seems to be quite strong is the desire for change. I think the situation we are as uh, the country and as the ANC is actually uh, motivating the members to believe there's a need for a change and that's uh, accepted.
1: What do you stand for? What what, what can you do um, differently from what the current president is doing?
2: I I think we are talking here about the uh, ANC uh, uh, conference. Mm. So primarily we are talking about how do we fix the ANC as an instrument uh, for transformation and therefore the uh, working uh, the the functionality of the ANC becomes important and that starts with a different style of leadership which I would bring and the different style and using the skills that one has gained over the past um, you know uh, many years uh, serving at different structures should actually create the advantage and it's important to say why is important? the ANC has to be uh, fixed we need to make sure that it must operate as a credible, united uh, force that is able to process the challenges of community and uh, and ensure implementation of policies to change the lives of people. Mm-hmm. So it itself, it needs to be managed better. Mm-hmm. And managing better means that you must uh, uh, emphasize on uniting the ANC. And in this case, uh, I've had this experience of working. I've been part of the officials uh, and uh, I have also been part of uh, uh, leading a province where unity has been you know, my theme and over the uh, period, everyone who has served with me and those who have known me know that uh, they, uh, there's been uh, you know, a strong uh, emphasis on unity and we've been quite successful. And also when we're talking about right now, we need to make sure that uh, we dismantle these groups so that you don't get any sea meeting which is actually preceded by Group caucuses that makes the ANC to be a, a not just a, a collective leadership, but to be groups that are all vying at each other. Now that is important because such an ANC needs to be able to uh, uh, you know, fight corruption, and in doing, in fighting corruption, you need an ANC that is. Um, united that will be able to equally discipline members when when there's misbehavior. And it becomes difficult to do that if you've got a, a, you know, factionalized uh, leadership that is seen as a cabal that, say, protects its own uh, members and so on. So that I think is important and I've had a history of doing that. Then the other issue is also just working on the administration in the African National Congress. Over the period, uh, as Treasurer General, uh, the focus had been for me to raise funds. And over that period, one would have administered and raised over uh, three billion rent to actually make the uh, ANC program to be viable and um, uh, ensuring that uh, you know the uh, uh, programs are effective to ensure that the staff uh, you know the machinery of the NC is well maintained and so on. These issues for me mean that uh, you need to now deploy the, some of that experience to try and uh, tighten up the uh, um, the machinery of the NC. So with that having, having been said, I also think you know I've also had this uh, history of being able to bring leaders down to the community so that leaders should not be, uh, free-floating, but they must be, on a day-to-day basis, assisted with uh, addressing the challenges that people face. And this means, therefore, that uh, the way we run meetings, the way we deal with issues, the way we go around talking to various uh, communities uh, and addressing their issues, you need active leadership, and therefore, that is what I would bring. Now, that allows the ANC to be effective in the implementation and again it's a skill and it's also the, uh, the style of leadership. Because you, you can have policies but if the style of leadership does not allow us to actually create a, an effective machinery. Uh, you know the ANC that uh, was led by Mandela, led by Thabo Bay, uh, led by Zuma uh, where you see the variations would be on the style of leadership and in my case a very consultative style but very decisive but also very sensitive to uh, you know tensions and, and and ensuring that you know the the direction of the ANC is not lost uh, so that people must always know that the ANC is relevant at the end of the day you need this so that you must have a must be able to fulfill the historic mission of the ANC of, uh, uh, you know, liberating all the people of South Africa. And that level, it's important to say we are about building all those marginalized communities, the majority, to feel that they actually have got an equal role in running and managing the affairs of the country. So the issue of uh, managing the economy, it's important that our people must be at the center of it. They must be, you know, properly involved so the question of economic sovereignty and, and and making sure that the question of our people feeling that there's a sense of self determination after and after apartheid so our the the african people in particular must feel that uh, they are able to run their country they are able to run their economy they are able to elevate themselves from poverty to the point of uh, you know, a a kind of prosperous South Africa that we build. There can't be a way when we say we need a prosperous (coughs) South Africa that it can be built unless you can actually make sure that each and every individual see themselves as the agent to change the life of people, to change the economy, to change the quality of life that everybody lives, and also to, to create the kind of future for South Africa with everybody participating. So that is what the ANC must be able to achieve in the process of uh, taking the country into the future. So that is what I believe needs to be a focus of this conference. And
0: and, when when
2: you look at the current
0: president, where would you say he has failed? Particularly, what would you say are the areas where he's failed so bad such that he doesn't deserve a second term?
2: I think let's put it the other way. Let us say we have seen the conditions in the country where people have been unhappy. We have seen the, uh, you know, the, the, how we've dealt with the uh, challenges of unemployment, how we've dealt with all of these challenges of uh, uh, crime and all of this. Now, I would want to bring in a different approach to managing those issues. And then in so saying, we are then saying to our people, those policies of the ANC are still correct to actually change the country. However, because we've always been complaining about, uh, you know, poor implementation, we must now say that uh, that's my focus. What is it that can be done that we should do? What is it that uh, was not implemented that I should make sure it gets implemented? That's my history of a uh, hands-on focus on implementation and changing things. Even as you are looking at, uh, um, I worked in Copta. For the one year, when I was at COPTA, we had actually come to a point where those who were in that sector began to understand that uh, we can actually do things differently, we can change things, and uh, the uh, uh, the inspiration that went to those who were managing the sector was an indication of how they felt we had injected new energy in this, and that's what I believe we need to do in this case.
1: Uh, our economy is struggling. Right now, we were driving, They were traffic lights switched off because there is no electricity. How Do you have a plan how we can revive the economy, how we can fix the economy so that it creates jobs? There
2: are a few issues which I think principles that I believe we need to be able to focus on. Obviously, the first one is to say the duty of fixing ESCOM requires technical expertise a lot of which I think we can get in South Africa, but where we are able to find that it's not available, then we should be able to go out and get support from uh, some of the friendly countries that we work with who have got the similar kind of uh, operations. Mm-hmm. And that, for me, is where we're going to start. We need to rebuild a number of the uh, coal generators, and we need to rebuild a number of... Uh, ensure that the old ones are refurbished, and that we need to ensure that... Uh, there's a proper maintenance program, which is long-term focusing ahead in the future. That would be the first issue. I think the second aspect relates to us recognizing that uh, uh, primarily the, coal, the, the uh, energy generation in South Africa is going to be based on the, what we call the base load, which is a coal-generated energy. At that level... We need to accept that uh, the coal in South Africa is here for many, many years because we've got billions and billions of, uh, of, of of tons of coal. So there has to be an understanding that we will need that and we'll have that for many years to come rather than actually shutting down the mines and uh, exporting the coal or the coal or shutting down the generators and exporting the coal, we're gonna need quite a bit of that, uh, which will obviously have to take into account the available technology for reducing the emissions, Uh, and the level of emission of South Africa uh, is really uh, not as bad as what the rest of the world is actually doing. And so it cannot be right to export coal for others to go and pollute in their own space, but it's not good for us to actually generate our own energy. Then you need to balance it up, because at some point, uh, some of the experts in in the energy generation were able to show me what they call the energy availability curve that shows the uh, dynamics of uh, peak requirements in the morning and evenings, and then, of course, uh, the baseload supply of what the country generally needs and how additional sources of energy uh, become helpful, that is solar, wind, uh, water, and uh, and nuclear. And I think that combination of the integrated energy uh, or or resource plan still needs to be considered. And so I still see that there's a a huge need uh, for balancing that up. And it must be balanced in the context of how we want to increase the basic generation of energy so that you can use it as a platform to increase industrialization in the country, to increase the economic growth, and create more new uh, you know, manufacturing capacity for the country to do value addition if we don't go the route of a value addition uh, with all the uh, minerals that we are that we that we produce we are actually short chaining ourselves and so the basis for that is to be able to build uh, on uh, an increased supply base uh, for 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 electricity so we do need to get past this point of load shedding to get to a point where there is stable supply energy supply The issue of the debt, obviously government will have to deal with that because uh, on its own, uh, to rescue ESCOM is going to require, largely it's an issue that really relates to the finances. That's going to be an issue. But when I was sitting in Cokta, we had actually started a process of uh, uh, dealing with the debt of ESCOM that comes from municipalities and communities, and uh, there are ways of how that can also be managed. There are various proposals that we're working on at that point, and I think they become relevant at this point. And in addition, then, I think that uh, we need them to be able to say, as we are looking at uh, at uh, uh, the, the uh, ESCOM being strengthened and revived, uh, you still have a huge place for a parastatal company that generates. Uh, Most of the countries are running on a parastatal-based company of generation. Whatever other support in terms of the Uh, co-investments that come about but primarily we would not have been here in terms of uh, generating electricity uh, for supply electricity to the communities were it not because this was a state owned entity. Communities would not have been able to afford a lot of what is happening. Free basic services would not have been possible were it not for the the, uh, power state
1: So I still believe that 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 road needs to be protected. Where do you stand in in particular these two policy proposals? the the nationalisation of the reserve bank and also the formation or the creation of the of of the state bank there there's been leaders of the n c have come up to say those policies are are, are not helpful right now because of the of the environment and in, in, in the situation that government finds itself in. And um, it might require more resources that government needs to direct to, to to other priorities. I'd like to know what is your view on, on those two points. Two points. Yeah.
2: Look, in uh, so far as the, those are decisions of the ANC, mm-hmm. uh, they're not the issue that I can actually contradict. I would, yeah. I would understand and support the, those are the positions of conference. Yeah. And maybe what we need to do is to explain a few things a little bit. Yeah. So let's take this issue for example that says uh, uh, in a few, a few, last year or the previous year, yeah. some money, the, the Reserve Bank was asked to intervene to assist government so that you could actually get the payment of all this uh, uh, allowance for unemployed people because of the COVID, uh, this thing. Uh, that's already getting the Reserve Bank to relook really look at how they can do something different to actually assist a crisis situation. So that happened, and there was no outcry. So if you, anybody said that uh, you could have asked the Reserve Bank and it came from a uh, a, a radical economic transformation group that, you know, people are going to be hungry, there's going to be a shutdown. And so somebody could have said, oh, 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 there, the are goes." But it didn't come like that. Yeah. Somebody went and said, look, there's no other way. So the, the argument is that there could be different ways of how the Reserve Bank could assist to support the rebuilding of the economy. Mm-hmm. So let's take another example. Now, most of the Reserve Bank loans go to other banks. Okay, now the banks as they sit now, those banks don't uh, you know, focus on the low income group, you know, building small entrepreneurs, the building of uh, you know, uh, cooperatives, and so they don't. So if you had a different bank, which uh, the Reserve Bank would have actually supported, it would still be a bank and therefore there might not be a change in the way that the, bank, the banks are relating, but the impact of that bank would be different. Because it would be actually focusing on building entrepreneurship and small businesses and, uh, and, and cooperatives. Now, that is the loss in the interpretation of what is being sought. Rather, they will get fixed on the position of saying this is where who stand, this is where who stand, Instead of understanding what is the doctor trying to do. Now, I, I'm telling you this because India has got uh, a lot of cooperative banks. South Africa has got lots of has got a, a regulation on cooperative banks but no cooperative bank that's functional. Government should be the one that's actually supporting. You could then have an understanding of how such a bank uh, could actually help to build the rural economies, the small uh, industries, and and so on. And so... the support that comes in. You can call it in different ways uh, and people's expressions might be the one that cause conflict. Mm. But if we understood the objective of what we're trying to do, mm. then you'll have a very different uh, attitude. So my approach is a very pragmatic approach. I believe that <clears throat> something needs to be done to get a bank that's going to cover the unbanked. You can call it state bank, you can call it whatever. Mm. You call it a cooperative bank, whatever you might call it. But if it addresses what we're talking about, it's like what the Chinese have said, that when it's a cat. As long as it catches the mouse, don't worry about the color of the cat. Mm-hmm. And therefore, in this case, we get too much trapped on the issue of semantics, when in fact, what is being raised is a reasonable issue of saying, uh, these banks, that would help people to manage small enterprises. We need that. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem. That's the issue that we're trying to resolve. Mm-hmm.
0: But uh, of, of course, I, I think there's a general agreement in the country that uh, we have a problem of, of corruption, and we saw uh, such being exposed at uh, platforms like uh, the Zodo Commission of Inquiry into State Capture. Uh, which came with the report, and the current president has been uh, saying that he is uh, implementing the recommendations of that report. But there are some who say your candidacy is meant to to stop uh, such an implementation, such as people taking out accountability for their alleged uh, involvement in corruption. What do you have to say to that?
2: You cannot stop uh, people who might be cynical about anything they disagree with, and so Uh, I I wouldn't really account for people's attitude. Uh, But let me just take you back, because sometimes people create an impression that this issue about fighting corruption is something that came because uh, there was new President Ramaphosa. Actually, if you went back and tracked the attitude of uh, society to the African National Congress, which was... um, broken down into strong supporters, mild, moderate supporters of the ANC, and undecided and mild opposition and strong opposition. They they tracked that if you went into 1994, the issues were different. Top of the list was violence, peace, stability, housing, service delivery, and so on. Over the years, as those issues were getting addressed, the ranking of issues, corruption didn't appear in, the, in 1994, it didn't appear five years later but then slowly it started moving from being number nine of the concern slowly until it became one of the top three. In other words the members of the ANC, the ANC itself which is those members and its supporters were the ones who raised the issue to say there is this problem of corruption that we want to see addressed. So the ANC has been struggling with how best to deal with that issue over the period. It may not be clear, because the ANC is the only ruling party that that has been dominant for a period, that whilst this is growing, actually the members are also objecting to it. So it is actually an undisputed policy of the African National Congress to fight corruption. Mm. That is the one thing that is important. Secondly, the issue of state capture was raised with us as the officials. In the ANC, I was still the Treasurer General. All the veterans and all the other people who raised this issue, there were issues that we discussed. Myself and President President. these are the issues that have been raised in relation to how we have dealt with so and so and so. And, so. and we said, these matters must go and be discussed. At the end, the ANC officials said, we don't have a mechanism to address this issue because it requires a huge amount of investigation. And we went back to the ANC and explained that. Then when the matter came back again, we then took a view that at this point, this information needs the ANC to support the creation of a commission on state capture. It was President Zuma who signed that uh, commission into place because the ANC agreed long before we knew was going to be taken over from President Zuma. So this mis, uh, this juxtaposition of uh, the ANC is corrupt and then it was only changed because of this last time, It's a misnomer. So the ANC has always been against it, but also it's been part of our own understanding. If you get involved in any problem that would bring the ANC to disrespect, It's not a new issue. It's an old issue. Solve your problem and save the ANC. That's been the attitude. So those attitudes have always been there. It's just that when people report then of course they anchor it differently. This uh, solution, this uh, state capture report has got a lot of uh, you know, lessons that we've got has got a lot of uh, uh, actions that need to be followed. It's also got lots of weaknesses. We've gone through that discussion. At the end of the day, that thing must be implemented. It must be implemented on the basis of what the criminal justice system will find to be uh, provable cases that need to take people for, uh, for, for for prosecution. That's how it must be dealt with. What we've been objecting to is a, a tendency to, which we were witnessed, where there is manipulation of uh, some of the agents to target certain people. That does not mean that our justice uh, system uh, is all manipulated. It's just that we are saying that people who would abuse their authority and do that and we are condemning that, but we're saying we need a very strong uh, justice system. The reason why you need a very strong justice system is because that system must uh, offer a counterbalancing on the Ensuring that there is, you know, good governance, so that you can have a government that delivers, that creates, uh, keeps its legitimacy and credibility in front of the people, because that's the one that generates a lot of uh, um, confidence to bring in people who can come in. They know things are predictable. You know, the the law. This is how it stands. This is how the law, the laws of the country stand, so they can invest. And then out of that, uh, you can then grow the economy because you need the partnership at that level. So the fight against corruption is not like there's a group inside the ANC that is pro-corruption. It's a misnomer and I think it's actually mischief that people generate. but because of the perceptions, I do understand people sometimes think that is true and I'm saying it's not true like that. And so there's no way, I can say in my entire history as as part of uh, the ANC, I have actually been fighting Corruption and part of uh, being rated the top premier in during my term was because of the combined service delivery, c- accountability, and c- contact with the people, and of course fighting corruption. It was that kind of combination that made the difference. When I was treasurer general, as I say, there's, we raised all of uh, the, 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 the uh, fundraise to a lot of people. The message was always very clear: donations are not transactional. They're not in lieu of any tenders, and if there's any corruption, we must fight And You can go back and check your 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 Google your, your 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 record. You'll see that that's been what I've been saying all along. And uh, look, having said in the in the. Uh, 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 Treasurer-General, the NEC, the the, uh, conference said, look, we think that there are elements in the fundraising that need to be tightened up because we can see there are people who might use the name of the organisation, there are people who might actually uh, abuse the the resources and so on. So it's part of tightening up that process that I was actually involved in. That is how we ended up with the discussion of the um, party funding bill that I had to go and convince the different parties that you will never close this loophole unless you shift the funding of the party or of the political parties as a fundamental structure for democratic dispensation through the fiscus. Then whoever pays the parties, the parties must be um, beholden to them. And in this case, if you have got other people who might be wanting to try and create influence, allow the people of South Africa to be the ones who are going to have to put influence over the parties because they are the ones who pay; they paying the piper, and they must call the tune. It's a democratic principle. Sometimes people feel, why even pay the political parties? Because you know, people just think there's something wrong with that with the political parties. In reality, you can go to most of the democracies. That's how uh, parties are funded, and it's the, uh, it's a lesson that we all have come from. Now, um. Uh, uh in the in the case of uh, 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 uh the one example uh, we to get that party funding we actually studied about 18 countries where the restriction to curb corruption was important and therefore we had to shift the bulk of the funding of the parties that to come from the from, from the fiscars. And that actually limits the impact. You can then say as a quid pro quo, we will ensure that there's limitation of the private funding, we'll ensure that there's a limitation or there's a more transparency on party funding. And in lieu of that, then the state takes care of most of the things. Then we can put the restriction. But it. If the, the you, you don't balance it up, it does become a challenge. So I'm giving you a whole record of things that have been done
1: to try and deal with the issue of corruption. Do you believe that there was state state capture? And to go with that question, you talk about creating a strong justice system. Um there are claims that judges are being bribed and they are taking sides in fictional battles. Do you believe in, in that to be to be true or
2: if you said uh, In 2017, 2016, 2014, there was state capture. Nobody would have had adequate confidence to say, yes, it's true or not true. Mm -hmm. Why? That thing has not been properly investigated. Therefore, the information that's available remains impressions and information that you get. Now we get all of this information, we get very concerned about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, until one day those things are properly investigated, we may not be able to say much, but we get worried that some of the times uh, the the reason why people raise them is because there's something that they have seen. Maybe at some point that would need to be uh, investigated as it were. But I think until we have got... adequate evidence to table to deal with that issue, it will probably just remain as the stories and the rumors and concerns. But uh, you must always balance how, when you get information, you should make statements that should undermine the entire system and make people believe that this, the whole system is corrupt. When in fact, it might be a few individuals who might be involved. So those who, uh, when you, those stories arise, I think it would be good to try and see how much evidence we have of that. Of course, we all hear these stories, but uh, we, we would then say, when there's adequate information that would necessarily necessitate that, that gets exposed, it would be important because you still need to keep the integrity of your systems in place. When we talk about people who abuse the justice system, I don't believe that you will condemn the entire system. You just need to know who are the individuals that need to be removed, like the rotten potatoes that need to be removed out of this process.
0: Baba, you you spoke about issues of funding. Uh, uh, People would most probably want to know who is funding your current campaign for the upcoming conference, and your view on the so-called use of money in internal ANC uh, contests.
2: Look, um, at this point, I don't have that uh, confirmation that I can give to you. If you have to deal with that, it tends to be dealt with in a particular process of how those declarations have to be done. But in terms of uh, uh, the needs for funds in the organization as you, as you are doing the campaigns, they, 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 to the extent to which they relate to the... Logistical issues. If somebody says, I want to phone people, I want to arrange a meeting, we need to get a text to get into a meeting, those kinds of things, there's a need for uh, resources at that level. What we're condemning is people who come with bags of money and say, Here's the money, go vote for so and so, vote for so and so. That is actually impairing the democratic ethos of our organization and, de- and, uh, and destroying the will of the people.
1: You, you spoke about how the ANC fight against corruption predates this current president. And um, the the last conference talked about renewal and renewal is about having leaders who are not tainted and who are beyond reproach. And now you have uh, serious allegations against the sitting president. The, the panel report is skating, uh on him. I know he's taking it on, on review, but um, there's been calls from different sectors for him to actually um, talk to his conscience and, 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 and step aside and, and resign actually. What is your view on how the matter should be handled? Well,
2: when, when I had uh, um, to deal with the investigation that related to me, mm. nobody forced me to resign. Mm. Nobody asked me to resign. I felt that to deal with these issues, <clears throat> I needed just to uh, get out of the executive. When I was upfront with the president, that, that's what I'm gonna do uh, and that process was to allow me to be able to get all these matters to be ventilated fully in court, which has, which has happened at this point. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, the issue of what you do to deal with allegations based with yourself in relation to the image of the party and the position in government, it's a personal decision. Mm-hmm. It has to be left to the president to decide on that. And uh, in my case, there was no one who put pressure on me. Now, it is impossible to stay in positions... Of of authority, without allegations being ever thrown at you as a leader. What is important is that if there's allegation, you must take responsibility and investigate if it's within your purview. But also, if it involves yourselves, you must also be willing to take yourself to go through investigation, investigative processes. In my case, I've gone through that, and therefore my attitude would be: uh, all of us as leaders will now and again come find these allegations being made, and a lot of them. Uh, would have no basis. And in that situation, we allow the processes to be able to disprove that there's this case. Uh, In in my instance, the the parliamentary process that evolved after the the allegations were made was actually to get me to answer to the Parliamentary Ethics Committee. I respected that process. I submitted all the information. It was thoroughly investigated. They came back to me and said, we've got all the evidence. We've asked all the questions. There's nothing we haven't checked." We're clearing you. We're closing that issue. Mm-hmm. That issue is what had also been raised by the Inter- Integrity Commission. And so that matter meta- for me is closed. But I have actually said, no, that's not going to end there. I want to take the re- report for review because this allegation of me pressurizing the staff is untrue uh, to, in, the, in, the, in the allocation of the, in the procurement process. I was never involved. It has not been proven that it is untrue. This allegation that the SIU makes that uh, I broke the resolution of cabinet, it has again been proved that it was, it was untrue because they've actually come back to me to say uh, they actually don't have the resolution. The reason I've been asking, why did they approach this inquiry with a predetermined view to find me guilty and producing a faulty report that is devoid of the truth? And I'm saying they must explain that. Mm-hmm. And it must be set aside. So that is separate now from the other issues that uh, that uh, were raised by Parliament. So my point would be, in this case, we must investigate the issue and must be willing to be taken through the investigative processes. We can't be the ones who doubt our our institution. but if there's a reason to doubt, you must demonstrate why. in this case, I've
1: thrown why. But if you say it's up to the to the individual who has allegations against him, what about the damage that it does to the to the party? Shouldn't the party then intervene when the individual is not taking the correct decision? No. What you need to avoid
2: is to um, fudge all the issues. At the moment, all that there is is a report that says there's something to answer for. And we're saying... They allow the president to go and answer that 's all yeah. now that process, all of us, I allowed the process to go to the to, to ethics committee, anyone else, if there's a, it's the police, if it's the hawks, if it's who, you need to go and answer those questions then mm-hmm. so at the moment that's what that 's what the, the issue is, and at that point, as to what you decide is going to to you, it's different when there is now proven guilt.
1: Mm-hmm. You spoke about people who, who have a head over about the Digital Vibes issue, but it's something that is out there. There's been a report by the SIU. there's been media reports suggesting that money moved from Digital Vibes to other business people and ended up in, in bank accounts of members of your family. It's something that is out there. People believe that your family benefited from Digital Vibes. What do you say to those people right now? Why should they trust you?
2: Out of this whole process, There hasn't been a charge, there hasn't been any uh, wrongdoing on my side Mm. and we are saying I have learned lessons which will also to always make sure that going forward we avoid any uh, perceptions that there is direct benefit. In this case, my family was not directly involved in the question of the contract with the department or a subcontractor of Digital Vibes or part of Digital Vibes but nevertheless, I'm saying I have understood the uproar and I've understood why people have been unhappy about about that. And in future, we have to take this, the, the, the feelings that come from all of this, the lessons that come from that to ensure in future such a thing is avoided. So that for me is the lessons that I think we need to take as we go forward. And from the point of view of uh, the investigations, where actually this matter, I have been subjected to investigation for almost two years now uh, in relation to this matter. And those processes need to be allowed to to take their course.